0: Chapter 1 Humble Beginnings Charles Chuck E. Yeager was born on February 13, 1923, in Myra, West Virginia which is about 32 miles from Huntington, West Virginia. In 1928, the Jaeger family moved to Hamlin, West Virginia, which is about 10 minutes from Myra when Chuck was five. The town's population of about 400 made it seem to him like a big city. Soon after, it was time for Chuck to enter school. Yeager was an average student throughout most of his school career. Instead, hunting and fishing interested him far more than most of his studies. Still, Chuck excelled at anything that required mathematical ability, physical coordination, or manual dexterity. These traits would serve him well many times in the later years to come. Chuck credited his father for another trait he displayed early on, an affinity for machines, and a natural knack for understanding them. Albert Hal Yeager owned a natural gas drilling business, and young Chuck found all the generators, pumps, and pressure regulators fascinating. He was eager to learn everything about them. He wants to know how they worked and why. At an early age, He was helping his dad repair them and troubleshooting the complicated systems that accompanied these devices. The same was true with the pickup trucks his father used. By the time Chuck was a teenager, he could disassemble the Chevrolet engines, overhaul them, and reassemble them with ease. Chuck played basketball and football for Hamlin High School, and his best grades were in geometry and typing. Chuck graduated in June 1941, just six months before America joined World War II. A few months after his high school graduation, Yeager joined the U.S. Army Air Forces. Chapter Two, Earning Wings. Yeager had no real interest in learning to fly when he first joined the Air Forces. He simply wanted to be a mechanic. The main reason he enlisted in the Army was because the Army recruiter was more persuasive than the Navy spokesperson. Furthermore, Unlike many famous aviators, Chuck's first encounter with an airplane had left him unimpressed. When Yeager was a teenager, a plane made an emergency landing near his house. Although Chuck dashed over to look at the aircraft, he was unmoved by the experience. When Yeager entered the Army Air Forces, he seemed unlikely to become one of history's legendary pilots. But in the summer of 1942, he began showing an interest in becoming an aviator thanks to the Air Force's flying sergeant program which trained enlisted men to fly. Jaeger enrolled in the program because he wanted a change of pace, not to mention a promotion. Jaeger earned his wings in early 1943. After a brief assignment stateside, he transferred to England and began working with the 363rd Fighter Squadron. In early 1944, on his seventh mission, Jaeger shot down his first plane. However, His next mission did not go as well. The widow of General Yeager, Victoria Yeager, talks about the General's escape from enemy territory.
1: Airplane on the eighth mission, and then to show that he wasn't so Sierra Hotel on the ninth mission, he was shot down. What happened was they were going to Bordeaux, but the weather was stinking, they were escorting bombers. And unfortunately, the lead bomber, instead of just heading to the secondary target, He said it out loud. So the Germans on the ground below the clouds couldn't see the aircraft, now knew that they were there, and they came up. And Chuck Yeager was tail end Charlie. He was the last airplane of the P 51s escorting them. He saw the planes before anybody else did. And so he called out to his leader, Bandits, check six. And the leader called out, Break. So they broke into them, and there were three ME 109s, which uh, shot at him and shot him down, and he got a few hits off on them. He parted company with his airplane, as he would say, landed riding the twig or the branches of a tree, riding them down with his parachute, collected his parachute, hit it, and then hid in the woods until and looked around till he could find the poor people. That's what they were told to do. In all of southern France, there's one German tower, as far as I can tell, and that German tower had a bird's eye view of Charles Yeager coming down in his airplane. So his airplane and he parted company. They knew exactly where the plane was. They knew exactly where he came down. So they were right on his heels. But he found a guy who took him to a barn. They changed clothes, clothes of a husband who was a POW in Germany. He hid in the haystacks. The Germans were doing pitchforks into the haystacks to try to find him. They didn't, they came darn close. And then they took him off to a Russian lady at a spa. She spoke Russian, French, English, and a few other languages, but they wanted to make sure he wasn't a spy. And so he was up on the second floor in her bedroom. She was the manager of the spa and and the Germans were at the bottom of the stairs coming up. And she told him to hide under the bed. And he said, I hardly know you. He liked to have his own egress or escape systems and be dependent on himself, but he had no choice. He got under the bed, the Germans came in, the Russian lady said, and she got under the cover and said, I'm an old lady (laughs) and I'm sick. And so they backed out because there's no penicillin then and saved his life. And then he was handed off from one member of the Mackie, French underground, French resistance to another for the next three weeks. And eventually they heard the Gestapo was coming to town. So they got him down to the Pyrenees long before the snows had melted. Usually they'd wait till the snows melted, but the Gestapo was everywhere. They got him there. As they were climbing over, one of the guys he was climbing with got wounded. So he he picked him up and he carried him up and down those Pyrenees in three foot of snow. He was so humble that if he told that story in front of him, he'd say, no, 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 I just just pushed him down and slid down in the snow. He really wouldn't take much credit. He got a bronze star with a V for that
0: despite being wounded, Jaeger still evaded the Germans, with the help of the French resistance, and made it into neutral Spain. Soon after, he returned to England. Although military rules prohibited him from returning to his unit, he appealed his case all the way up to General Dwight D. Eisenhower, who allowed him to return to his squadron. Victoria Jaeger tells what happened when Jaeger met with the Supreme Allied Commander.
1: He was in Spain, which was technically a neutral country and he was staying at a spa which was kind of interesting he said boy i'd have to tell my kids i I spent world war ii in a spa looking at girls in their bikinis the u.s traded fuel for the men he got back to england and they said he had to go home because if he was shot down again and tortured he might give up the positions of the french underground And he said, no, I can't go home. So he went up to the next guy and he kept saying, who's your boss, who's your boss, went all the way up to General Eisenhower. And General Eisenhower said, I don't normally meet with guys like you, but I've got people shooting themselves in the foot to go home. What's the matter with you? Why don't you want to go home? And he said, I haven't done my job, duty. And so General Eisenhower knew that D-Day was coming and but didn't tell this flight officer, Charles Yeager, but said go back to your squadron do not get on combat and i will let you know because i have to go up to higher ups and, and to get permission and so charles yeager went back there and he taught the new guys the new recruits that came in and within a couple months after d-day General Eisenhower sent word that he could get back on combat because the Mackey in the South had risen up and and so they weren't a secret anymore.
0: If Eisenhower had any doubts about his decision, Yeager quickly put them to rest. After returning to his unit, Yeager shot down five enemy planes in a single day and became an ace in a day. General Yeager talks about this specific series of
2: dogfights, courtesy of the Academy of Achievement. I was leading the whole fighter group, which means three squadrons, and we only had, we had two boxes of bombers to escort. Our fighter group did. So what I did, I stuck the other two squadrons, one on each box of bombers and took my squadron and ranged about 80 miles out in front of the the bomber stream. And, and I spotted 22 ME-109s in a formation, climbing up out in front of the bombers, out 80 to 100 miles to make a head on pass. And I stayed up sun, where they couldn't see. Me. I spotted just, they were little specks. I had excellent eyes. I, I could watch things without them seeing me. And I kept up sun from them from the, with my squadron of 16 P-51s. Finally, when they leveled out and headed over towards the bottom, I just moved in behind them, down sun. And I got within 200 yards behind And st- and I wouldn't even let my pilots, you know, they kind of spread out. We still had our drop tanks on because... We wanted to keep as much fuel as we could, and I shot down the first two without even dropping my tanks. And when, of course, the explosions when the airplanes blew up, then they all broke. And at that point, we punched our tanks off, and the, the whole squadron broke up into, you know, in the elements, you know, wing wingman and his leader to support each other. And we got in a big old hairy dogfight, and I shot down, I don't know, another guy. I was. Hammered him and then a the guy, his wingman, cut the power and dropped behind me. And this one blew up, and I broke into him, pulled out at about, looked like about 50 feet before I hit him. And then another guy I followed him to the deck and got him down low. Then it's all over with. Later, he even
0: downed a German Messerschmitt ME 262 jet while flying his propeller driven P 51 Mustang. Throughout his 64 World War II missions, Jaeger scored a total of 11 and a half victories. Chapter 3. The Speed of Sound In July 1945, Yeager entered a new phase of his aviation career when he became a maintenance officer at Wright Field in Ohio, a job that entailed flight testing all of the field's different types of planes. Due to his growing experience with a wide variety of aircraft and his outstanding piloting skills, Yeager caught the attention of the man in charge of the Air Force's aircraft testing program, Colonel Albert Boyd. Boyd invited Yeager to become a test pilot, and the West Virginian accepted the offer. In August 1947, Yeager transferred to Murak Air Base in California, which would later become Edwards Air Force Base the premier proving ground for the day's most technologically advanced aircraft. Soon after arriving in Iraq, Jaeger received orders to test the X-1, the experimental aircraft that some believed might exceed Mach 1. Curator for the Aerospace Museum, Bob Vanderlinden, explains the science and purpose of the Bell X-1. The Bell X-1 is the first pure experimental aircraft ever made. It was designed specifically for research purposes on behalf of the NACA, the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, which was the predecessor to NASA, and the Air Force. And it first flew, well it was the idea was came in 1944, 1945, to learn about the problems of compressibility that aircraft were experiencing in high-speed dives during the war. On October 14th, Jaeger flew the X1, which he'd renamed the Glamorous Glennis in honor of his wife. Faster than the speed of sound, With that flight, he traveled faster than any human being ever had, a remarkable feat considering the fact that he had broken several ribs during a horseback riding accident only a few days before. The director of Marshall University Special Collections, Lori Thompson, has more.
3: He had broken his rib before the the flight in which he did break the sound barrier, and they had to modify the cockpit because he couldn't close the hatch, essentially. So they even had to modify the cockpit a little bit a last-ditch effort. And it was not a smooth ride. It was very shaky, kind of violent in the cockpit. We have the audio recordings of that time, and he's trying to talk um, and give commentary back to the crew on land while being shaken around inside a cockpit with a broken rib. So that that whole ability to, the only word that comes to my mind is bravery or crazy, you know, bravery or crazy to willingly get into something that you have no idea what would happen and to successfully complete that and then go on to perfect that. He, he later on, he to become a member of the Mach 3 club. So they not only broke Mach 1, but he was able to get to Mach 3. And then all of that science was invaluable to helping the military have bigger, strong faster stealthier planes but with that also then helps make sure that the pilots are safer and that they know all the things that will happen inside a cockpit when they do reach Mach 1 so that they can manage that in their builds for the newer planes as well
0: revealing his characteristic sense of humor Yeager radioed to one of his colleagues quote I'm still wearing my ears and nothing else fell off neither unquote Jaeger's next noteworthy flight occurred in 1953 while he was checking out the X-1A, a longer and more powerful version of the X-1. On December 12th, Jaeger piloted the X-1A to Mach 2.4, another record. Although a short-lived one, even though most of the flight went according to plan, near the end, the aircraft unexpectedly started spinning out of control and began rotating on all three axes. In the process, Jaeger smashed his head on the cockpit's canopy. After spinning for more than 50 seconds, Jaeger finally regained control of the aircraft and landed it safely, a fine example of his outstanding piloting skills.